please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. We will be looking again at verses 14 through 21, but focusing particularly on the last part of this prayer, verses 17, 18 through 21. Now here in Ephesians, Paul has been proclaiming the glorious riches of the gospel of Christ and of God's wonderful plan for the church. He has told us how God has redeemed us, how he has raised us from the dead, he has brought us near, and how he is building us into a temple for his own dwelling. It's overwhelming and completely gracious privilege to go from death to eternal life, to go from being God's enemy to being his beloved child, to go from being far off and sinful to being brought so near that we become the temple. It's a treasure beyond compare, beyond description, beyond even comprehension. And all this has driven Paul to his knees in prayer. And that is where we find him this morning, in the middle of his prayer. It is a prayer for power, for understanding, for love, and for that, that we might understand God's love. In short, it's a prayer that we would come to know God and enjoy the the blessings that he has given us. It's a prayer that we would come to know God himself in whom we have all those blessings. As we read it, reflect too on your own prayers and ask if your prayers seem small as we look at these requests of Paul. You see, we are far too easily pleased. We are redeemed to know and glorify and enjoy the God of the whole universe. So as we consider God's word this morning, let us pray that this prayer will conform our prayers to it as well. Let me pray before I read. Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear your word, that you would teach us, that you you would help us to so listen and mark and learn what you have to teach us, that we would be changed by it, that we might glorify you and trust you and love you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. This is God's word. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do 
far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we have been blessed, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ. Oh, that you would know it. Oh, that you would know what we have. Oh, that you would experience it. This is Paul's prayer. Not that we would be given more, but that we would know what we, uh, that we've already been given every spiritual blessing, an infinite store of riches, everything necessary for life and godliness. Now, God couldn't love us any more than he already has in Christ. So Paul doesn't pray that God would love us more. He doesn't pray that Christ would be re-sacrificed for us. He prays that we would come to know God's love more. In short, he's praying that we would grow in maturity. We are like princes and princesses in a vast kingdom. But as of right now, we, we barely have strength to travel around our own bedroom. And Paul is praying that we would, would be able to go outside, explore the whole palace, the whole kingdom boundaries. Well, we are like men and women standing in front of the Grand Canyon or in front of a beautiful sunset. But we're almost completely blind. And we were just barely able to even see and enjoy what God has placed in front of us. We are called to lift our, our minds to heaven, to fix our minds there where Christ is, who is our life. And yet we find it so hard to get them two or three feet off the ground. God has given us an infinite treasure and it's here it's ours, but we cannot even begin to understand it and enjoy it without God giving us sight, without God giving us the strength to, to, to know it, to experience what we have. Oh, if brothers and sisters, if you knew what sort of Savior that you have, how the temptations of this world would fade away. If you understood our glorious inheritance, how could you ever covet? If we understood God's wisdom and goodness, how could we ever complain? If we understood his power and his love, how could we ever doubt? You see, that is why we need to grow in our knowledge of God and of his love. Our Lord Jesus prayed, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowing God that is eternal life. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. And brothers and sisters, you have him. But we don't understand what we've been blessed with just yet. We've only seen a small part of it. Our knowledge, our understanding is still so small. So we need this prayer. We need to have our knowledge deepened. For it is by knowing Christ 
that you become like Christ. Paul writes that even now, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are, trans we are being transformed from glory to glory, transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. John wrote that when Jesus Christ appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. This is how we grow as Christians, not by simply looking at the law and saying, I need to do this, I need to try harder, but looking at Christ, knowing God, and then somehow, like Moses, being in his presence, we come away and we have been changed. That's what this prayer is about. It's what we are to desire. And we looked at verses 14 through 17 last time we were in Ephesians. It was a request for power and for strength. But here in verse 18, we are getting to the reason we need that strength. It is so that you might understand, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you might be filled to all the fullness of God. Well, that seems impossible. Several impossible things in this verse. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To be full, filled up to all the fullness of God. It's a prayer for, for knowledge, for understanding, for, for filling but before we consider what we are to know, I want you to notice first who Paul prays for. Paul is praying that we would comprehend with all the saints. It is, you see, a corporate prayer, not simply a prayer for our, our own personal lives, our own personal growth. Just like in the Lord's Prayer, one word that is never used is the word I. You probably heard there's no I in team, right? There's no I in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, give us, forgive us, lead us. It is a prayer for all the saints. You see, the Christian life is sometimes compared to a race, but it's not a, a race really with the other people in the room. It's a corporate race. We are together. I would, I would use some sort of cartoon illustration of things coming together, but I don't want to date myself. But we are a corporate body, and the race is not fully won until every saint crosses the finish line and is a victor. The temple that Jesus is building is not complete until every piece grows to full maturity until everyone is complete and mature. We can't simply leave one another in the dust as we grow in the Lord. It's not that you understand beyond the saints, but with the saints. And I think this might condemn us a little bit because don't we feel a little bit of pride when we know the Bible better than others? Maybe not people in this room, but maybe other churches. We think we have it together. 
better. But God died for the other churches too. Every church that calls upon his name. We are to pray for them too. For their growth. Just as we hope that they pray for us. Because really we are them. There's only one church in the world, isn't there? So when we are proud of our theology being more nuanced, more precise, or when our works seem to outshine others, there's a fundamental flaw in our thinking. It's sin. It's falling short of the mark. Because, you see, mere knowledge puffs us up. But true knowledge, true growth in the knowledge of God makes us meek and humble and loving. If you sit before the cross and you know it better than somebody else and you think that you're proud, then you don't really know it. Seeing the cross makes us humble. It doesn't show you how good you are. It shows you how good God is. It shows you how bad you were. That this was the only way for you to be saved. The true growth will make our desires more like this prayer. This appetite increases with the eating. Knowing God causes us to increase in our desire to know him. We know that God desires not just to save us, but to build us into a building together with all the saints into a temple. And so our prayer must be for all the saints. And this prayer won't be fully answered until we've all attained full maturity in heaven. But it's that we grow now in steps towards that. And what is it that we are to comprehend with all the saints? It's the love of Christ and the fullness of it. What a bold request this is. Paul prays for these things that are seemingly impossible. Love that surpasses knowledge. The scripture often uses language like this so that the Holy Spirit may show us that God is giving us something that we can't fully comprehend. It's beyond our tiny, our tiny little brains. We are told in scripture of a joy unspeakable, of a peace that passes understanding, of a love that surpasses knowledge, and of the unfathomable riches of Christ. The unfathomable riches of Christ. See, that, that is why these blessings are all beyond comprehension, because God has not simply given us a bag of blessings, a bag of grace, as if there were such a thing. He's given us himself. He is love. God is his attributes. He is what he possesses. So when he gives us love, he's giving us himself in whom we are blessed. We ought never to seek God's blessings apart from Christ himself. For all the blessings are to be found only in him. And he is infinite. That's why they're all beyond understanding. But Paul prays that we would nevertheless grow that we would grow in our understanding of God's infinite love, like a surveyor of a vast plot of land. We were at Tom's house yesterday, and he has a ton of land that he oversees. We only got to see 
just the edges of it, basically. And we would love to explore it more. God's love is, is like this. God wants us to explore it. He wants us to consider it, meditate on it, to map it out, as it were. He wants us to know the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of it all. And in every direction is an infinite, it is infinite, like an endless ocean with no shore, no bottom, no top either. You know, well, sometimes we sing, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. Brothers and sisters, when was the last time that you surveyed the cross, that wondrous cross, really sat and considered the, the implications of it all, the meaning of it all? Paul says that it surpasses knowledge, but he prays that we would know it, that we would experience it. This doesn't mean that the surpassing knowledge bypasses our knowledge. It just surpasses it. We still know it, but knowing it intellectually is not enough. We have to experience God's love. To know it personally to be able to say not simply that Jesus Christ died for sinners, but like Paul does in Galatians 2, 20, where he says, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Brothers and sisters, have you learned how to say that? Jesus loved me. Jesus gave himself for me. So knowing God is not merely intellectual, or merely experiential, it's both. It's not some subjective feeling, but knowing what God has done for us and receiving it by faith. And what is the evidence of this love? How do we know that God loves us? Is it not at the cross? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is the objective truth that proves beyond all doubt that God loves us. We experience it as we rest in Christ and we trust him and are changed by him. Brothers and sisters, let us learn to pray for this growth, for growth in knowing him, growth in experiencing his love. And what a wonderful prayer that is, too, that we would begin to appreciate and know how much he loves us. It's one thing to just say in this abstract term, God loves you a lot. God loves you a lot. When I was a little boy, my, my mom would ask, how much do you love me? And was it this much? This much? You know, we have, to, we have to stretch out as far as we can. I love you this much. And I don't know what that even means. <laughs> but just as much as I can express. But... God wants us here to consider the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of it, as if love is a space that could be measured. And perhaps Paul is simply saying that he wants us to know the fullness and the extent of it, but we can't really meditate on it in those terms like it's really broad, it's really long. 
We think, but we can think of its breadth in more concrete terms. So consider this, brothers and sisters. God's love is so broad that it embraced his enemies. It embraced those who were far off and those who were near. It embraced people not just in Jerusalem, not just in Israel, but the Samaritans too, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, stretching all the way to Taiwan, all the way to America, all the way around the world as far as the east is from the west. From the rising of the sun to its setting, and brought us near into a family, to one people, the greatest people in the world, God's bride. Not great because we were great, but great because God's made us into this, this kingdom that cannot be shaken. You know, I wonder if any of you saw any of the, the coronation this weekend. It's a little bit odd for us to see as Americans, but maybe it's not such a bad thing to reflect on, remembering that we too have a king far more glorious and a kingdom far more ancient and that will last far longer. That we are his children. We are part of the royal family. That's how broad his love was. It embraced his enemies and made them, brought them near, made us his children. While we were dead in our trespasses, he loved us. It's better than the story of the prodigal son. You know, the son runs off to a foreign land and he comes to himself, comes to repentance, he comes back, his father rushes out to him. But God loves us, as it were, when we were still wallowing around with the pigs. He came all the way when we could never return, never begin to return, he sought us out and he rescued us and brought us back to himself. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners. That's the breadth of God's love. Consider, too, the length. Ephesians 1.4, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. God, before you were born, God was thinking of you. Before your parents ever saw your face, tried to figure out a name for you, God knew everything about you. God loved you before he spoke light into existence. He loves you today. He will love you tomorrow. He will love you in death. He will love you after death. He will love you forever. His love never fails. He loves us with an everlasting love. Psalm 136 taught us this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of God, for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords, for his love endures forever. And on and on it goes through the entire psalm, recounting how God's love has endured from before the fall, after the fall, through the exodus, through all of history. 
and how he always will. His love endures forever. It cannot end. It is as vast as God himself. That is the length. Consider its height and its depth. Psalm 113 says, Who is like the Lord our God, who is enthroned on high, who humbles himself to behold the things in heaven and on earth? He he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Isn't that amazing love? He is enthroned so high that he has to bend over to look down into heaven. To see the things way down there in heaven. And yet he comes down not just to heaven. He comes all the way down to the slums of earth. And he lifts us up to sit with princes. Ephesians 4 will talk about this. How Jesus Christ humbled himself and came down to us. How he descended to the grave And he ascended to heaven and brings us with him. Consider the glory he enjoyed in heaven. Consider how he laid it aside and humbled himself, took on our flesh. He humbled himself as a servant and to an accursed death on a cross. And he was buried under the same land that he spoke into existence. For you. He bore your grief, carried your sorrow, was crushed for your iniquity. He suffered hell on the cross for you. That is the depth of love. And then he rose again from the dead, and we were raised with him. Raised from the dead, raised from the ash heap, raised into heaven itself with Christ. That is the height of love. Now, I don't know if this is exactly what Paul was thinking of when he said that you would know the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, but it includes all this, doesn't it? He may have simply meant that he wants us to know the fullness of the love, but all these things are included in that fullness, that God loved us when we were far off, that he loved us from eternity past to eternity future, that he stooped down to wash our feet, that he raises us to heaven. Brothers and sisters, this is precisely how we know God's love and what he has revealed and what he has done for us. Paul said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's where we learn of the depth of Christ's love. There at the cross, Oh, that we would know it more and more ourselves, that each of you would know it and be transformed by it. The Son of God loved me. How could it be? How could it be that he sacrifices himself for me? Who am I? That anyone do such a thing, but particularly that the Son of God would do such a thing. But considering this, knowing him, this is the way we grow and that we grow to know God more and more. And knowing his love, we become more like him. 
and are filled up to the fullness of God. And I'm sorry that I don't know enough to expound this part of the verse to you more. Filled up to the fullness of God. Because I think it's beyond me. But this seems to be the pinnacle of the prayer. That knowing the love of God was not the end. It was the means to an end. That we would be filled up to all the fullness of God. But I think it has something to do with God's glory filling us. His attributes being manifested in us. We see it at the end of this prayer. To him be glory in the church. This is the seat of God's glory. You know when the tabernacle was built and the cloud came upon it and the glory so filled it that the priest couldn't even minister there. And again at the temple. But God's desire is that his glory in all the universe is manifested most in his church. You know, a whole, the whole kingdom expresses the king's glory. But much more so as you come closer, when you come to his palace, when you come to his children. We are his children. We are his palace, as it were. This is the place in all the universe where God's glory wants to rest, to fill us somehow. To all the fullness, all the fullness that you can hold. Jonathan Edwards spoke about us being perfectly filled with, with joy in heaven. Like a cup is perfectly full. And some cups might be bigger than others, but each one is full as much as it can hold to overflowing. And yet we can still grow and still be perfectly full the whole time. That's God's fullness expressed in us that we would have his love, that he would dwell in us and we would dwell in him in a way that I don't even know how to talk about. But just let me say it this way, that what you heard this morning is just the borders of a vast continent that is way beyond my understanding, way beyond yours. And when you get to heaven, even though you see him fully face to face, you will still be at the beginning. That your love could, and your knowledge of God could increase exponentially every day forever. Because he is infinite. It's, it blows our minds, but God's desire for us is big. His plans for you are very big, such that all the sorrows, all the suffering, all the death we encounter in this world will seem like nothing in comparison, will not be worth comparing to the, the eternal weight of glory that is given to the children of God. It is, seems like a big request, doesn't it? But God is able to do it. See, Paul knows who God is. He is able. He is able to do everything that you ask or think. And he's able to do all that you ask or think. More than that, he is able to do beyond all that you could ask or even think. And beyond that, he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond 
all that you ask or think. Paul is saying, in short, that God is able to do these things that seem impossible. These are big requests. God is bigger. God always surpasses all our prayers and wishes. You cannot out-imagine him. John Newton, the author of the great hymn Amazing Grace, wrote this about prayer. You are coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. For his grace and power are such none can ever ask too much. Brothers and sisters, we ought to remember that. Our prayers are usually far too small, probably because our view of God is too small, because our desires are also too worldly. But this prayer, this doxology, helps fix both of these errors. We ought to desire this, to know this, that God's glory would dwell in the church and in Christ to every generation forever and ever, that we would desire God's kingdom and his righteousness, that we would long more than anything to know him, to experience his love, to be changed by him just the way he wants us to be. And you may feel that you are too weak, too sinful for this to happen to you. But weak faith still holds to a strong Savior. And he is strong. He is bigger. He is able. To God alone be the glory. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond everything that you could ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, help us to have our hearts, our desires conformed to your desires for us, that we would know you, that we would love you, that we would grow in our enjoyment of you. We pray that you would be with our brothers and sisters, that we would, with all the church, would comprehend the height, the depth, the breadth, the length, that we would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge that we would have a joy unspeakable and a peace that passes understanding. We pray this, Lord, not even understanding exactly what we're asking for, but we know that you are able to do far more than we can ask. Lord, to you be the glory forever. Amen.